Hey there, I'm Sam. And I'm Jace. We are the Lit Knitters. I don't knit. So grab some yarn, settle down in that armchair with a book and a TV, and cozy up to the fireplace, because it's going to be lit. All right, welcome back to episode three of the Lit Knitters. I'm Sam. I'm Jace. And we are excited to have you back um, for another great episode. Jace, you excited? Uh, yes, I'm very excited. It's Good. been a long week of classes, and I'm glad to not think about them anymore and just yeah. talk about books and TV. I'm also glad to do that. Um, and for all of you listening, we have, as always, a guest with us here today. Today we have... My good friend, Jace's good friend and fellow classmate and podcaster, Maddie Rausch, host of the podcast, The Black Holes of Netflix, also from BYU's undergraduate podcast lab. So Maddie, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. We, we knew, so for you all, the listeners, Maddie is one of the most ardent lovers and most passionate people about the TV show that we're going to talk about today, which I'm not going to say yet, but that is why she's here talking to us today. She also has great knowledge of film, television, and so she is a natural guest for for this sort of thing that we're trying to do. So, Maddie, thanks for being here. Thank you so much. That was a great introduction. <laughs> I'm glad. I hope you. I hope I made you feel good. Definitely. <laughs> I tried to make Jace feel bad. It works every time. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um, anyway, Jace, to make you feel good now as a change, would you like to tell the audience what um, today's episode title is? Yes. So today's episode title is Stranger Neighbors, To Kill a Mockingbird and Stranger Things. We are excited for this one. And I know that, I hope that, I mean, most of the listeners love Stranger Things. It's one of those shows that I feel like everybody knows and has talked about, at least in some capacity, whether they've watched it or whether their roommates watched it, most people know about it. So, and To Kill a Mockingbird's kind of the same way. It's that book everybody reads in high school or middle school, you know what I mean? So hopefully we'll be able to distill some interesting um, new thoughts and ideas out of these really familiar uh, things for you all. And so... Are we ready for our first segment, everybody? Yeah, let's get it. Yes. All right. Yes. This is this is the segment of the show where we will take you through a summary of each of the two works and um, introduce you to the theme of today's discussion. This is the knitting pattern. So, Jace, why don't you kick us off and talk to us about To Kill a Mockingbird? So, To Kill a Mockingbird, it was published in 1960 and is written by author Harper Lee. It was immediately successful and it won the Pulitzer Prize. And it has become a classic of a modern American literature. Hence the reason why everybody reads it in everybody high school. For good reason. Yes. Definitely. Yes, obviously. But. Yeah. <laughs> I think I read it my freshman year. Yeah, same. Freshman, yeah. Freshman yep. Actually, my mom, interestingly, really quick, sorry to interrupt the knitting pattern, <laughs> but my mom actually forced me to read it, um, I think when I was in sixth grade, and I didn't like it. And then I had to read it again for school. I know, gasp. And then I read it again for school, and then I realized what a great book it was. And I hope that everybody out there who's had their mom force them read a book and then to go back and realize that they like it will go back, as I did, and tell their mom, thank you. That's what moms are for, is to force sure their has. kids to read good mm-hmm. books. That's the you know? Anyway, back to it, Jay. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> that, that I just had to, to, I had to put in a little Same. personal plug. Shout out to mom, you know, yeah. for, for, for helping me out, you know. 
um, keeping me keeping me on the on the right path there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> So well, anyway. at least your mom picked that book. My mom pushed me into reading The Catcher in the Rye. Oh gosh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> very different book. It was mom. a very different book. But, <laughs> yes. you, know, like, you know, we might talk about it in another episode. We but, we might. Oh, yeah. spoiler Ooh, alert. Spoiler. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, yeah. keep going, Jay. Sorry. My mom did count Monte Cristo. So yeah, that's, that's, a good ah, that's a long one. Wow, yeah. <laughs> avid reader, advanced reader over here. <laughs> Lol, no. Back in fifth grade, actually. Oh, in fifth, fifth grade, grade she was tackling the Count of Monte Cristo. Right. Anyway, okay, so the plot and the character is loosely based on Lee's observations of her own family and her neighbors and an event that occurred actually near her hometown of Monroeville, Alabama in 1936 when she was 10 years old. The story told by the six-year-old Jean Louise Finch, or Scout, as, as she's named in the book, takes place during three years between about 1933 and 1935. Uh, during the Great Depression. So it, it's, it takes place in this fictional town of Maycomb, Alabama. Jean Louise Finch, nicknamed Scout, like I said earlier, lives with her brother Jeremy, nicknamed Jem, and their widowed father Atticus. Yes, Atticus. Atticus the, the Great. Atticus, Atticus <laughs> the legend. <laughs> so Jem and Scout befriend a boy named Dill, who visits Maycomb to stay with his aunt each summer. The three children are terrified yet fascinated by their neighbor, the reclusive Arthur Boo Radley, who they believe is a mad and crazy person. The main premise of the story is their father Atticus's efforts to acquit a black man, Tom Robinson, of rape, charged against Mayella Ewell, daughter of Bob Ewell, the town drunk and an overall terrible person. A, a really terrible we person. Hate him. He's a bad <laughs> He's a, a baddie. Uh, the trial ends of Tom Robinson in defeat, though well defended by Atticus. And Tom is condemned of the crime. However, despite Tom's conviction, Bob Ewell is humiliated by Atticus's case against his credibility, and so he attacks Jem and Scout while they are walking home on a dark night after school activity. Jem suffers a broken arm, but then some strange someone comes to the children's rescue. The mysterious man carries Jem home, and, and Scout realizes that their savior is Boo Radley. The sheriff then arrives and discovers Ewell dead from a knife wound. Ooh. Atticus at first believes that Jem was responsible, but the sheriff is certain it was Boo. The sheriff decides that to protect Boo's privacy, he'll report that Ewell simply fell on his knife during the attack. After she says goodbye to him at his front door, he disappears again, never to be seen again by Scout. Boo. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> disappears like a They're, ghost. Yeah, uh, 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 yeah. I told you we'd have a lot of puns on this and, one. And that the was attack non- was, was on Halloween night. So just oh, wow. Oh. And she was dressed up in a ham costume. She right? she was dressed up as a ghost? She was dressed up as a ghost. Oh, no, no, no. It was a ham. I think You're it was right. a ham. It was, it was a ham. ham. Was that, was that just a movie thing I, or was that a book thing? thing? I think the movie changed it. You're right. I think she was a ham. Because she had this like apparatus that I remember in that scene where they were attacked. By Bob Ewell, she, she gets yeah. kind of all caught up in this all this business that she has in her Boo costume. So. Uh, got him. There it is. <laughs> anyway, so there we have it. Boo, Radley, Stranger Neighbor. Maddie, take us away with Stranger Things. Okay. As many of you know, Stranger Things is a show created by the Duffer Brothers from my um, home area of Southern California. And um, it was aired through Netflix, which... I have a knowledge of. Um, <laughs> I think we all have like, maybe too <laughs> yeah, much maybe knowledge we all have of Netflix. Too much knowledge Netflix. <laughs> um, the show is set in the fictional rural towns of Hawkins, Indiana. Hashtag home birthday. Yay. Yeah, yeah. Um, during the early 1980s. Here's a quick rundown of like the first season. So the Hawkins National Laboratory is secretly carrying out experiments into the paranormal and supernatural, including those that involve human test subjects. 
Inadvertently, they end up creating a portal to an alternate dimension called the Upside Down. The influence of the Upside Down starts to affect the unknowing residents of Hawkins in some intense ways. In November 1983, Will Byers, a local boy, is abducted by a creature from the Upside Down. His mother, Joyce, played by Winona Ryder, and the town's police chief, Jim Hopper, search for Will. At the same time, a young psychokinetic girl called Eleven escapes from the laboratory and assists Will's three best friends, Mike, Dustin, and Lucas, in trying to find Will. The second season is set a year later, starting in October 1984, after Will has been rescued. However, Will is still being influenced by entities from the Upside Down, and his friends and family learn there is a larger threat to their universe from the Upside Down. Though more adventures and with help from the strange powers of Eleven, the crew defeats the darkness of the Upside Down. And season two ends with a wonderfully nostalgic middle school dance where two couples, Mike Eleven and Lucas and Max, a new character of season two, end up kissing and we assume form a relationship. It is wonderful. We'd hope so. And all the beautiful, I mean, relationship we hope. And then you got the police song, Every Breath You Take, in the back, which was... That's why I say it was wonderfully nostalgic. They blew all all their budget on that song. They really did. I would have too. (laughs) Same. The third season is going to be airing in July and reportedly is set a year later in the mid nineteen in mid nineteen eighty five, which is like my favorite year, nostalgia wise. Cue excited screaming. <laughs> we are all eagerly I mean, oh. I am eagerly waiting for that day. Countdown. Count get all the theories out. We're not gonna talk about them sadly. Um, that's for another podcast. But there we have it, the knitting pattern. We have two stranger neighbors. Boo Radley. And 11. It's great. Mm-hmm. All right, Jace. Are we ready for the second segment? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is the second segment where we go into the rest of our, our more detailed discussion of this theme that we've drawn out. And this segment is called Getting Down to the Nitty Gritty. Let's get down to the nitty gritty. All right. So we have these two characters. We have the character of Boo Radley and 11, these two strange people. And let's start off with kind of some thoughts about, you know, aside from the obvious fact that Eleven can move things and, like, break people's necks and kill people, kill people with her mind. Um, she's a bad. She's just an incredibly <laughs> powerful little girl. Um, what is it about these characters you think that unsettles people? And what is it about these characters that you think kind of recalls in your minds the way in which we you know, commonly maybe um, find strange people unsettling. Jace, what are your thoughts, first of all? Um, I guess for me, I think it's the background of these characters that makes them so strange. Mm. Like, a lot of it is shrouded. In, Mystery. In, in not, it's, like, it's shrouded in rumor and speculation. Mm-hmm. Like, for, like, for example, with, with Boo Radley, a lot of the bad things that people hear about him are kind of mythical almost. Like yeah. they've kind of been passed down in rumor from his like childhood of him. Like I think he, like he stabs his, he his stabs his mom. I oh, I can't remember. One of, one, he stabs one of his parents and mm-hmm. in the leg with a pair of scissors. Yeah. So he's, like, oh, it's, it's Mr. Radley because ever yeah, since Radley, then he walks yeah. with a limp. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and Mr. Radley was uh, charged of like abuse. That's what they think yep. that happened. Yeah. Exactly. And so that's why he attacked him. Yeah, so the, the backgrounds are kind of shrouded in these kind of like more violent mm-hmm. things, and it, it makes people wary of being around them. I mean, even with Eleven, even in the show, we kind of get yeah. glimpses of that kind of violent background. Definitely. Even, even though you know we, we we get it in kind of snippets from 
in flashbacks yeah, and, and flashbacks things like and stuff. that. But like, yeah. I feel like I feel like the thing that makes these two characters strange to others in the show is that violent, violent, like kind of weird, unknown background that they have. I like that. I th- I think that uh, it's interesting too with with Boo. There's kind of two types of this this context, these backgrounds that these characters carry. Boo has this kind of the local. Uh, local urban legend or the myth, the superstitious kind of air about him. Whereas Eleven, I think, has kind of the, maybe the broader context. At first, everybody thinks she's a Russian girl, a Russian spy. So there's these interesting 1980s sorts (laughs) of um, kind of backgrounds about her. I do want to kind of quickly, um, there's a great, um, we're going to be pulling, by the way, from clips of the To Kill a Mockingbird adaptation um, in the movie, um, we can't really play for you clips from the book, but because there's a movie adaptation, we thought it'd be great to do that. And we have a great clip of Dill and Jem, uh, two of Scout's friend, well, Scout's friend and brother, um, who are talking about kind of these supernatural, um, superstitious sorts of myths about Boo. Uh, let's take a quick listen. I'll tell you what let's do. Let's go down to the courthouse and see the one they left Boo up in. And says it's bad and that's when he nearly died from the mildew. Come on, I bet they got chained and instruments of torture down there. So yeah, there there you have it. I mean, very clearly they're they're talking about he's got weapons of torture underneath there and and they're just, you know, in a kid's imagination very much that way. But Maddie, what do you think about it in terms of, you know, from the kids' perspective, in terms, you know, Lucas and Dustin and Mike kind of have their own theories about Eleven. Yeah. But even adults, too, engage in this sort of kind of judgmental uh, rumor and kind of this superstitious, re- unrealistic sorts of, you know, gossip. What do you, what do you think about it in terms of Eleven herself? With Eleven, I think even with Eleven and Blue Radley, there's a very physical element to it. She mm. has... Um, she's going against um, like gender norm in the sense that she's bald and that immediately sets the tone for how a lot of them treat her besides Mike who's used to like and really loves fantasy and so he's not afraid of her and that's how he breaks the barrier to get to her but Lucas because he's freaked out of that appearance Mm. takes a step back and that leads him to creating further hesitance with her Mm. and building up and boundaries with her especially when he starts to see that she has the potential to be violent he was already not a huge fan and then it pushes him more a little bit and then with boo radley his mannerisms in turn like force the myths and all the legends that have been told about him to make it seem like they're true because he doesn't talk he's never seen he's a ghost he's boo and (laughs) similar with eleven she's very elusive she doesn't talk she talks strangely so it's really interesting how both of these characters don't talk a lot their mannerisms are uh, different from the norm and that's what sets them apart and that's what makes them strange I'm really glad you brought that up, honestly, because I love the difference between Lucas and Mike's reception of, of Eleven. And I think that there's some really interesting things to say, too, in terms of, you know, if you think about Stranger Things specifically, the reason maybe why. And and the reason why I think it's interesting is you, you bring up the idea that, you know, Mike is more accustomed to strangeness because he is a science fantasy lover. They play Dungeons and Dragons all the time. But yet Lucas is still somewhat reserved, even though he has somewhat of a similar background. Maybe not. I mean, Mike is the dungeon master. Yeah. He's the organizer and the, the mastermind of their of their games and things like that. But there's a great scene in um, 
in Stranger Things that we're going to play for you where Lucas really kind of lets his full emotion and his full suspicions of Eleven, not just of her strangeness, but maybe of her culpability in the disappearance of, of Will, where he thinks that maybe it's not just that she's strange. She, like Boo Radley, might be guilty of some really heinous crimes. Um, I really like this scene. Uh, let's take a quick listen to it. Shut up! I'm looking for some stupid monster! But did you ever stop to think that maybe she's the monster? So yeah, there you have it. I mean, and this is right before, obviously, Lucas gets the full blast of Elle's power as she, like, slams him back against the bus, you know, when they're in the at the, at the, um, the junkyard. I'm looking for that word. Um... <laughs> But but yeah, that that just there's really is um, that initial just big time barrier between these characters and the way they shroud these characters in a lot of unwarranted and un kind of unproven mystery and negative negative sorts of mystique. I guess mm, you could say. Yeah, um, I think it was interesting how you brought up like when you were talking about the difference in Mike and Lucas's reaction, and I wonder if there's an element with Lucas that he's immediately putting up his guard. I think he's a he's an African American kid true. in the eighties in a completely white neighborhood. He has to keep his guard up all mm. the time. So maybe he doesn't have the same affordance that Mike has. True. And so maybe that's why that could be a reason why he built that up so yeah. quickly. He himself is kind of a, a stranger neighbor, maybe mm-hmm. a lot more long standing one, but one nonetheless, I think. I don't know, Jace, do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I, I think I, I think it is an interesting <clears throat> thought with with Lucas, and I, I think even um, I, I I'd say that along with that, he is one of Will's really really good friends, and so I think the strangeness that he feels is also compounded with the fact that he he feels like he's being replaced mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. and he feels like you know maybe Eleven is taking his like may, maybe taking somebody's spot in their right. group of friends, you know, kind of that dis- displacement. Yeah, that's definitely fair. And it seems like Lucas was kind of the more serious type, anyways. And since Elle's a little, little bit more serious, mm. that personality. So not just is that the they're they are both kind of others. Yes. But that they are both also the more serious kind of quiet, quiet ones. Oh, that's very interesting. Oh man, that's good stuff right there. I think that's, and and I, I guess to kind of summarize or just kind of finalize this section, do we is it justified? Kind of these sorts of impressions that we might get of people you know who are by appearances strange are we justified in our you know initial hesitancy or even i mean i don't think anybody's ever justified in creating gossip and um rumor especially negative rumor about these sorts of people but i mean it is human in a way i don't know jace what do you think Uh, yeah like like you said i don't think it is justified to past those judgments i think it is natural to ha- for us to have those thoughts hmm. of, of people that we might perceive as being different or being you know strange <laughs> strange but like i think both of these works do a very good job of of looking at the strangeness and peeling back the skin hmm. and showing that underneath we're all strange in some way and that we shouldn't look at strangeness as something other and i feel like that that's something that uh, i i I think it it is natural to make those judgments but i feel like it's it's uh i guess up to up to us and up to you know people in these works to look past that stuff to decide how they will move forward with it It, you were echoing the words of atticus finch and i think it's my favorite quote from the book 
but Atticus is explaining to Scout about Boo, and I think it comes to be a theme also mm-hmm. with the novel's main kind of themes of, of racism and with the trial of Tom Robinson, where Atticus tells Scout that you never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view, until you climb into his skin, or as you said, until you peel back their skin, you know. Kind of, kind of a weird, kind of a weird way of saying it. Yeah, but, it's sci-fi. Yeah, it's sci-fi, <laughs> I guess, yeah. But, but yeah, until you w- climb into his skin and walk around in it. And and very very very, um, I guess you could say, it's it's a very kind of altruistic, and the virtuous thing that I think everybody, you know, we we all should strive to do a little bit more, especially in the world we live in today. Um, I want to turn now to turning points for how these stranger neighbors changed in the perceptions of the characters in in both the show in Stranger Things and in To Kill a Mockingbird. Let's talk about Stranger Things really quickly and the turning point in that in that show when the three friends realize that Eleven isn't there. She's not the reason Will's disappeared. She is not only a person who could help them, you know, pragmatically with their search for Will, but that she's become their friend. There's a great clip where um, the scene I'm thinking of, at least, and we can talk about maybe that you guys feel like there's a different turning point than the one that I'm going to bring up. But in the first season, where Mike and Will, or Mike and Lucas, and or no, it's actually just Mike and Dustin, mm-hmm. they're confronted with the school bullies who are out for revenge against them for embarrassing them at school when Elle forced the one bully to wet himself publicly. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mike is forced into jumping off of this cliff into this ravine. But then Elle, using her telekinetic powers, rescues him, floats, uh, kind of lifts him with her mind back onto the porch. And Dustin's reaction to this scene is, is really great. <laughs> I think it's just a great line, <laughs> a great line from the show. Let's take a quick listen. Let's go! Go! Yeah, that's right! You better run! She's our friend and she's crazy! So yeah, that, that for me, you know, what is it about that moment, I think, I guess, Maddie, let's start with you. Um, other than the fact that L- Eleven, you know, did something very helpful in saving their, you know, their lives. Why is it that these characters at this point decide to, you know, move past those initial hesitations and the perceptions of this person as a strange person to now embrace them? What do you think? Well, it has to do with trust. Um, and that's the big thing that I got from that whole first season was it was just a show of trust and her showing showing up and showing that she can help them and that she's good and that her intentions are always good, even if she doesn't know how to control herself. Mm-hmm. And that builds trust like any relationship or any friendship. Do you ha- It has to be built on trust. And you see that with Boo Radley, and that's why they become friends with him. Um, it's because of that trust as well. And so mm. I think it's interesting that that was the turning point for um, Mike. For there Mike, yeah. yeah. And, and Mike Dustin. Mike and Dustin. Yeah. Because they were already trusting of her in the beginning. So it just they just needed to see that she wasn't being a part of Will's escape or anything. And that she told the truth afterwards, too. Saying, like, yeah. I'm the one who opened up the gate. That was really big. And that was a big vulnerability moment. And that's what built that trust for them. Definitely. I think it's, that process is echoed in the second season, but with Hopper. Yes. In really emotionally powerful ways where they go through a long portion of the season in a battle of trust with each other. And it culminates in this great moment where they're driving to go close the portal. And she's just come back from Chicago. And they open up to each other. 
and they build that, they kind of finally establish, I think, that foundation of trust that allows Hopper to not see her anymore, you know, not me. I think Hopper's afraid of her in a lot of ways. Well, definitely yeah. because of the he said, "I'm a black hole." Like mm-hmm. everyone, everyone disappears that I love, and so he was keeping his distance emotionally from her mm-hmm. so that she wouldn't die. Basically, yeah. in his psyche, that's what it equated to. Mm-hmm. And so, him being open and vulnerable and seeing that she can fend for herself was a, a was made it so he was able to trust her. Yeah. I think the turning point in To Kill a Mockingbird is a little harder to pin down. Yeah, is there really? I mean, when does... I mean, obviously it happens kind of for Scout at the end when Boo appears and rescues them. But what's interesting to me is I think Boo sets the stage consistently in very kind of um, muted ways throughout the novel to to try to break break out and, and establish that trust. For example, he leaves the little trinkets yeah, and toys in the hollows the of the hollow trees. Tree, yeah. I mean, what do you think about it, Jace? Like, what is what is the turning point in To Kill a Mockingbird for for Scout for everybody in the in the novel? Um, I don't. I think I think it's a lot earlier. Like, mm. so some could say that it's it's when Boo actually saves them from Bob Ewell at the end. Right. But I think it, it it like what Maddie mentioned earlier. I think it's once he starts showing that he's not the monster that people perceive him as. Mm. You know, and he he's you know showing. You know, he's giving um, Scout these these little, like, carvings, right? Mm-hmm. Or, like, little toys. In, it's in a chewing hot. gum. Yeah, yeah things she, like that. And I feel like that shows... I feel like once he starts to do that, that's when things start to turn. Yeah. Because, like, e- even though we don't see, like, the action... Like, the, you know, the actual, like, visible action of his turning... We don't see it until the end of the... Uh, like, the end of the novel. Right. I feel like his initial turning is when he begins to show interest in Scout and show that he, you know, that he is not who people think he is. Yeah. I wonder if, um, I've always had this question about this novel too, if there are characters, people like Atticus, who, at least through the eyes of Scout, and, you know, because the novel is from Scout's perspective, Atticus is held up as kind of this champion of moral character who doesn't see people in this othered way he doesn't necessarily approach people and think oh they're strange obviously there are some very <laughs> different opinions about that especially after uh ghost at a watchman was published um we're not going to talk about that and you know especially considering that this novel is from scout's perspective and atticus is propped up in this light um you know is that a standard that I think these these sorts of, of works teach is that we should try to either put off our kind of initial instinctive reactions to other and to kind of make strange people who appear odd or unusual to us? Or are we can we become like Atticus who doesn't necessarily do that? Or at least, you know, we, we don't see him do that. But I don't know. What is it about, you know, Atticus's character, I think, what is it about Atticus's character that teaches those sorts of things? I don't know. Maddie, what do you think? Any thoughts? I definitely think with with Atticus, you don't see it. And I think the big push from this whole novel, as well as from either even Stranger Things, is you keep to yourself your first reactions mm. and try to keep an open mind is like the biggest thing because then you'll find the most surprising thing about people and like find what makes them human and what makes them like you. And they do that with Eleven. They do that with with Boo, especially. But yeah. 
But it's interesting to see as Boo is is a, more elusive of a character than L Eleven is. Yeah, definitely. And so, and and sometimes I even see him more as like an allegory for the town's past. Yeah. And their wrongdoings, and maybe even like the minorities or the mistreated of society. It feels like he represents a lot of that. Yeah. And Eleven does to an extent too. Yeah, though she plays a more prominent role, definitely as a as a protagonist mm-hmm. in many ways. I do think. There are allegorical elements to the symbolic kind of nature of her. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot to be said about her rumors about her being a Russian girl in the political context of what was going on in the 80s. There's all sorts of things you could kind of dig into and attribute her with, with, you know, her symbolism. But I really do like that. I think, again, I I love that quote that we talked about earlier, which just, you know, the novel To Kill a Mockingbird, its moral is to show that you don't understand people, mm-hmm. and in order to not treat them as stranger people than you, you do have to be willing to put off those those notions of who they are and step into their, their lives and see things from their point of view. So I think that's a great, it's a, a great lesson, obviously, and one that we yeah. need more and more in the world, I think, yeah. definitely. Any last thoughts? This was a great discussion. I really enjoyed yeah. what, what we talked about. I mean, two of my favorite things, honestly. <laughs> two of my very favorite things, as as Maria would say. Yeah, say. <laughs> Looking for my singing. reference. These are a few of my favorite things. Mm-hmm. Oh, geez, I didn't think I would actually sing on this on this podcast. No. You there you some, have it. Got some pipes on you. No, I don't. <laughs> Secret pipes. No, I do not. Well, thank you, everybody. Actually, oh, I yes. Do have a Go ahead. Thought. Please I, do. I think it's interesting that both of these works are taken from the perspective of children and it has a lot it has a lot to say to us as adults that that look at these these problems because you know if if let's say if stranger things would have been filmed with adults it i don't think the message would have yeah the message wouldn't have taken as as well and even with to kill a mockingbird the fact that the, the narration comes from scout and not from somebody like atticus who you know even though he might have provided a good insight into this you know dilemma of 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 looking at people as strange or other Mm -hmm. like it it's a lot more convincing and a lot more like believable that it's coming from a child well looking at these two works i you know i I feel like it it's important to recognize that that we you know we we should be like these children and and not and not look you know, look like we should see through a more childlike lens at these problems that we deal with in society of looking at people as others. Yeah. Yeah. And I think especially with the whole idea of them like having these characters as children and even Boo Radley is somewhat childlike. Oh, and I yeah. Think, very much and so. He, and it references a little bit in the novel or alludes to that he was abused as a child. So he stayed childlike. And that makes the audience so much more forgiving and yep. more open to thinking about these ideas and not viewing these people as strange because they're children. Mm-hmm. I think that was very choice yeah. by both of the creators for, for both of the show and, and the book. And what I think is fascinating is how both of these characters deal with violence heavily yeah. in their life. And they are children. Yeah. They are. And so, man, both of those come with a theme of children experience violence too and how are we going to react to that and yeah. how are we going to be patient with that and how are we going to be understanding and if we can be understanding and patient with children and with their experiences and violent experiences how can we do that for adults i love that yeah i think that's just a great way to 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 i guess you know bring this whole idea together that 
you know, everybody in a way is is strange, but they're only strange when you're not with within their perspective, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And for children especially, I think the concept of strange carries a very different connotation. With adults, strange kind of means bad. Yeah. But with children, strange can have a sense of wonder and curiosity and um, openness in a way that I think, I mean, it's no surprise that Mike and Dustin and Lucas are the first ones to take to and believe, you know, Eleven for yeah. who she is and welcome her into the search to find Will and then later in the show as well before the adults catch on. I like that. Thank you guys for participating today. Maddie, you are a wonderful guest. Your knowledge and your comments were (laughs) wonderful. Everybody go check out um, Maddie's podcast through BYU's Undergraduate Podcast Lab. Anything you want to plug? Um, Just that we we discover the worst Netflix has to offer and (laughs) so you don't have to. Um, And Mm. come join join our our journey with us it is a journey it's a great it's a great (laughs) podcast jace as always this has been fun oh yeah oh yeah we will get down to more nitty gritties and more knitting patterns next time but this has been episode three of the lit knitters and we'll see you next time thanks